Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this Tuesday, the 8th of March, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. And if you're not uh, listening via the app, the Faith Radio app, uh, you might consider, you know, downloading that. Um, I've had a conversation this past week with somebody who's like, oh, I love to listen until I like drive out of the signal. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, if you're driving out of the signal, then you're not using your phone correctly, right? So um, you can listen online, myfaithradio.com, uh, and or you can listen via the Faith Radio app. And trust me when I tell you, either way, you never drive out of the signal. You never. It's, it's Our signal coverage is now complete. It's global. You can get it anywhere all the time. Uh, you don't even have to listen to me at, at, at 6 or 7 in the morning. We got people who listen uh, every hour day and night because they listen via the app and they listen to uh, the show as a podcast. And you say, yourself, I didn't even know I could listen as a podcast. Yeah, actually, if you just tell your, uh, you know, whatever your podcast service is, uh, hey, I want to listen to Mornings with Carmen. I'd like to, you know, sign up to get that, whatever. I don't, I don't really exactly know how that works, but it all works. It's like, you know, the magic of technology. It's not magic. Don't at me about saying magic. Okay. So what's going on today? We're going to spend a lot of time today talking about various angles of uh, conversation related to Ukraine. But I'm going to lead off with this. There is a strike about to take place among um, Minneapolis public school teachers. And that's going to mean there's going to be a lot of kids with nowhere to go and a lot of families experiencing a whole lot of stress uh, because their kids normally go to school, which means they normally go to work. And um, and that means that they need some help. So I want you to just consider for just a moment, if you live in, uh, you know, the, the greater Twin Cities area and you're a member of a church, I'm wondering if this morning you might um, rally the troops somehow, some way. I think this is a great opportunity for churches. When schools are closed, maybe churches could be open um, and there could be a way for um, parents to, you know, drop off their kids in a in a place that they know is going to be safe and supervised, where their kids are going to get a meal. Um, you know, think about maybe maybe you say to yourself, well, my homeschool co-op could actually host uh, some sort of days off program at a church. Your homeschool co-op, just think about this for just a moment, could host a days off program at churches. Like, right, maybe you say to yourself, well, my church doesn't really know how to host kids. Um, and wouldn't know what to do with them. Hey, homeschool moms know what to do with kids, right? During a school day, they actually know what to do. And what a great way to expose currently public school um, families to homeschooling or to church-based schooling. Maybe your church already has a school and you could have like a a drop-in day, right? Like, you, don't, you know how colleges have 
ways that students can come and experience college life for a day um, before their students. Okay, well, maybe your church-based school could do something like that. When public schools are closed, maybe those are the days you have open houses. Just think about that for just a moment. You have like an inclusion day for everybody in the community. You have a come and see day. What would it what would it look like for the household of faith to be open when schools are closed? Just a thought, just a thought. Might also um, be an answer to the current child care crisis in America. Um, great opportunity for, I think, churches and Christian schools and homeschool co-ops to actually step into a void and uh, and meet a real need in communities. All right, lots of questions uh, about how do I avoid disinformation and how do I avoid passing along misinformation in the digital world today? I have probably gotten more questions about this than um, than virtually anything else uh, of late. Like, how do you know the stories that you're choosing to share, the information you're choosing to share, like how are you going through the process of verifying that? So I thought I would lift up today um, a process that's out there that I think is really helpful and easy to remember, and it's called SIFT, the SIFT method. I'd love it if it were, if the word were filter, but it's not. The word is SIFT. And sifting is good. You and I are sifted uh, like wheat. Um, so sifting is a good word here. And uh, and it just starts with stop. So S I-F-T. Sift. How am I sifting through the information? First, stop. Stop. Like, actually stop. Get your bearings. Consider where that information is coming from. Consider the speed with which it's coming. Consider whether or not it's a reliable source. Consider where, whether or not it's, it, it's just possible that it's totally fabricated or somebody is doing it to get your information or to get you to do something, like pass along to others what you've received That's not actually true. So stop. Stop. If there's a financial motive behind the person passing the information, if they have set up any kind of funding page, stop. Just stop. And then investigate the source. Know the expertise and the agenda of the source. Where is this coming from? Look it up on Wikipedia. All right? Google it. Fact check it. And then... Find if, if you're still interested in the story and you want to know that it's true, find some trusted coverage of it. If it's true, a trustworthy source will have covered it, will be offering coverage of it. If it's true, a trustworthy source will be offering coverage of it, and you can rely on that. Um, if there's not coverage out there that you can find, then trace it back to the original. Yeah, that's hard work. That's really hard work. But you have to trace the claim. Trace the quote, trace the media back to the source. Do not just pass along to others what you have received. Why not? Because Russia is masterful at disinformation. And people like to capitalize on misinformation. Um, and, and a lot of people are being misled. All right, Abigail Rist is going to join us again. Um, we loved our first conversation with her. We've been praying for her. She's a student at Cedarville University. She's also the daughter of missionaries to Ukraine, um, and she grew up there. And so Abigail Rist joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and this is Faith Radio.
Abigail Rist is joining us again. She's a student at Cedarville University. Abigail, welcome back. Yes, good morning. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much um, for taking the time out to do this. Um, We would just love to have an update from you. What are you hearing from your friends, both those who remain in Ukraine and maybe those who have left Ukraine? I mean, 13 days ago, everybody's world was turned upside down and people were not expecting a war to break out. People were not expecting bombings. People were not expecting to have to choose in 10 minutes whether they would leave their home potentially forever. And people's hearts are just breaking right now. Yeah. And the the news coverage is um, is obviously heartbreaking as well. Um, You know, particularly like as as I see images of um, older people, um, some of them, you know, not as able as they used to be trying to um, cross that makeshift bridge um, over very troubled waters, right? And as we see families um, who have not been able uh, to leave and um, and children who have lost their lives, like it is, um, it's heartbreaking uh, for those of us who've never been there. I'm wondering, um, you know, how you are processing this as a person who grew up there. It's the first couple of days I was in absolute shock. And now I'm just, I'm on my knees. I feel like 24-7 just praying, praying, praying my friends through evacuations, praying my church through um, potential Sunday morning services, praying soldiers through the fight. I'm just, I'm, it's, it's devastating. Nobody ever, nobody ever prepares you to receive text messages from friends saying, I, I'm, I love you and I pray we see each other again. Mm. Mm. Um, Abigail, you've been in um, in my prayers since since hearing you um, pray, you know, in the heart language of um, of Ukraine um, and knowing that, you know, you're trying to still go through, you know, every day as a college student. Um, maybe when we come back, we could talk a little bit about that, because this um, this can be really overwhelming. It can be overwhelming to try to go about like the re- regular rhythm of life when people you know and love are suffering in real time. So can we talk a little bit about, um, you know, just your, uh, the way you're coping when we come back? Yes, yes. Okay. We're talking with Abigail Rist. She is a student at Cedarville University. She grew up in Ukraine. Her parents were missionaries there. Um, We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're talking with Abigail Rist. She is a student at Cedarville University. She grew up in Ukraine, the daughter of missionaries there. Um, Abigail, let's just talk a little bit about coping. Um, My guess is you're still expected to go to class and do your homework. Um, Talk with me a little bit about um, the regular rhythm of life, even though um, you are experiencing this in real time as um, as your friends suffer. It's very, nobody, I mean, it's unexpected trying to live life normally 
um, while all of your friends are in such turmoil and such hurt on the other mm-hmm. side of the ocean. It's, I mean, my mornings look a lot longer than they used to. I'm, I'm constantly in the news, just reading and texting and um, trying to keep up with friends and make sure everybody's okay. Um, I'm, I'm getting to a point now where I can sleep full nights before it was, I go to bed at two or three in the morning, just texting everybody, making sure everybody was alive, everybody was safe, but knowing that most of my friends are in safety now does help me be able to live life more normally. Okay, um, let's talk about, can we, well, can we talk about that? Cause you, you have yeah. a lot of, um, friends who have made their way, um, out of Ukraine. Talk, talk about that. Like, uh, the journey, where are some of them? Yes, most of my friends have made it to Western Ukraine. Um, and there is a mandate right now that men ages 16 to 60 cannot leave the country. And so because of that, most of my uh, most mm. of my friends are married and they don't want to split up the family. So they're going to Western Ukraine. I do have one friend who is trying to get out of Kiev this morning with two uh, boys who are in elementary school. And she's it's going to be a very, very dangerous road out, but she's hoping to make it across the border, and she is leaving her husband in in the capital. Hmm. What is her first name? Her first name is Marina. Marina. I'm writing her name down. I'm going to hold her up um, in, in my prayers today. Hmm. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about prayer. Um, how would you encourage us as Americans um, or Actually, there's people listening all over the place. So how would you encourage those of us who are outside of the situation? How would you encourage us to pray today? I just, today is the national holiday, Women's International Day, and that is a huge holiday in Ukraine. And I know it's devastating for people to look back on last year, the year before, and look at how how wonderful it was to be able to celebrate with loved ones um, this wonderful holiday. And so I just, I, I think specifically for today, just praying for everybody, because it is going to be um, a harder day, knowing that a lot of people can't be with their loved ones to celebrate a holiday that everybody in Ukraine loves. So, Abigail, I'm going to ask you what's going to maybe sound a little bit like a selfish question now, but um, this mm-hmm. coming Saturday, I'm going to have the opportunity to meet with um, a mom from Ukraine. She has arrived here um, with her three daughters. Her husband, Sergei, has remained behind. Um, what what might I take with me that would make her feel more at home? Um. Any sort of chocolates, mm. any sort of um, teas. Ukrainians love chocolate. They love teas. They love sitting around and drinking tea with friends and um, eating a cake together or cookies. Um, and those are oftentimes good gifts that you give to people. So, Good. That's what I'm going to do. Um, now, when I'm buying chocolates for myself, I would buy the like darkest chocolate possible. But what kind of chocolate do you imagine she might like? Probably like dark chocolate too, but you know what? Milk chocolate is oftentimes a safe bet. Okay, okay, um, that is super duper helpful. Um, uh, and and what about the girls? Is there something that, like you know, I, I I would know here what to take a little American girl, but is there a different heart affection for a little girl from Ukraine? I think girls all over the world are the exact same. They love the exact same things. So I okay. think any sort of Barbie stuffed animal or, or, or chocolates would, would do great. All right. That's super helpful. I'm, I'm making notes. 
Um, so Abigail, when you um, when you think about uh, the situation and as it's unfolding, and we're hearing, I mean, we're just hearing this morning that you know even the U.S. government is acknowledging this is going to go on for weeks, if not months. Um, I I am a little surprised by that. I think I had hoped that we would be in a different place 13, 14 days in than we are. Um, Two million people have now left Ukraine, but that means that there are, um, you know, 42 million people um, who are still within the bounds of the country. As you say, many of the people have moved from eastern Ukraine to western Ukraine, um, which means that sort of internal hospitality is now um, is now what's going on inside the country with all of those displaced people. Um, Specific ideas for how we can help. Obviously, we're all praying, but are there are there avenues or corridors of help that you're aware of? I do know it is hard to get money to Ukraine right now because of a lot a lot of the banks are frozen. Um, I I know Samaritan's Purse is doing wonderful things right now in Ukraine. Um, I know of a lot of people who are finding local Etsy stores in Ukraine that are still selling stuff from the West and buying buying products there to support, or they're booking um, Airbnbs to still, and not going, obviously, but they're just booking these Airbnbs to provide any sort of support to people there. But for the most part, I can't think of any any internal organizations um, that could use any materialistic support at this point. Yeah, so we're going to pray, we're going to provide hospitality when uh, how we are able, and maybe we do that through booking an Airbnb. That's a great idea. Um, how can we be praying for you um, and other people like you, right? So folks who are not there, but whose hearts are definitely there. I pray that we can we can get up normally in the mornings and that we, we don't feel this guilt because you start comparing mm-hmm. your life to the life over there and you you walk by something, you walk, you walk into a store full of food and you just, my heart sinks knowing that mm-hmm. I have food and that my local store down the street back in Ukraine might not be standing there anymore. And just, it's, it's very hard. You're constantly comparing. Yeah. Well, let me pray for you right now. Father, we thank you for sweet Abigail. We thank you for um, her precious parents. We thank you for um, their extended family in Ukraine. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray specifically today for Marina and her children, and her husband. Um, We pray for Abigail's um, friends who are wondering if they will be called up to war. We pray for those who have been able to um, leave and, uh, and have arrived in western Ukraine, but we also know, Father, that that means that they are facing um, different challenges and struggles there as well. We pray for Abigail today. Father, we ask that you would um, bless her and keep her, that you would make your face to shine upon her and be gracious unto her, that you would lift up your countenance upon her and give her peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Abigail, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Please um, please pass along our prayers and our concern um, to your parents, um, and just know that we're going to be with you today praying for Marina. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Bless you. Bless you, dear. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We'll be right back.
Um, yeah, so for those of you asking um, where are Abigail's parents, I, uh, I, I'm so sorry. I should have um, reminded everyone uh, in our first conversation with Abigail, she shared with us that her parents and younger uh, brother came back to the United States. Um, they are in Michigan. They spent 21 years in Ukraine and now reside uh, back in in Michigan, um, where her brother is finishing um, high school here in the United States. So I, I'm so sorry. I should have shared that when she was on. Um, lots of you asking that question, but they certainly still have lots and lots of relationships in Ukraine, um, are very, very well connected to the church there, uh, having served there for some 21 years. So the headlines coming out of Ukraine are obviously continue to be heartbreaking and devastating. Um, the refugee conversation is is not only a big conversation for today, it is going to be a big conversation um, for the long term. It's also the conversation in which our churches have the best opportunity to engage um, because we can resource churches in Poland. We can resource churches um, in, in Romania and in Moldova. Um, we can resource churches in Hungary where... Um, where refugees are flowing in literally by the millions. Two million people have now fled Ukraine in the past 12 days. That number is, uh, according to the United Nations, expected to likely triple. Um, And so uh, even if, however, even if six million people are able to leave Ukraine, that will mean that there are 38 million people in Ukraine. So let's, uh, let's keep some perspective here. Um, on on what's happening and this humanitarian crisis. So I thought it would be helpful to talk today with Matthew Sorens from World Relief. Uh, he also um, works with the Evangelical Immigration Table. But we're going to focus on his role at World Relief um, because that is a uh, refugee resourcing ministry, not only here in the United States, but around the world. So that conversation is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So I'm going to cover a couple of um, of headlines out of Ukraine before Matthew Sorens uh, joins us, um, because I think that there are opportunities for us to be praying for specific people in specific situations. The humanitarian corridors that you may be hearing about, um, uh, unfortunately, the ones that have been offered by Russia, the those humanitarian corridors lead back to Russia or into Belarus. Uh, neither of those are places where people from Ukraine um, want to go. Earlier routes, um, particularly those around the city of Maripol, had been found to be uh, laden with explosives. And um, and so there is skepticism, obviously, healthy skepticism about any humanitarian corridors that um, the Russians might be willing to provide. Um, joining us now, Matthew Sorens from World Relief. You can find World Relief at worldrelief.org. Matthew, welcome back. Yeah, thank you for having me, Carmen. These are some um, these are some sober days. I'm wondering what you are hearing in terms of um, ability, capacity of nations, border towns. I mean, this refugee flow is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think we're all sort of just watching in horror and. Um, you know, these sort of situations have happened before, of course, but I think in some ways there's more visibility of what's happening in Ukraine than, than any crisis that, that I can recall but with social media and, 
you know, it's on our televisions. And it's it's just heartbreaking. And I mean, as you said, the refugee crisis is already we're hearing at least a million people have fled, maybe up to a million and a half. And, you know, depending what how things proceed, there's estimates that could go up to four or five million. And and um, it's, you know, devastating to watch and also in some ways inspiring to see the the resolve of so many Ukrainians um, to defend their country. And, um, and, you know, I would say we work with a lot of Ukrainians in the United States. World Relief has actually settled uh, about 40% of the Ukrainian refugees that have come to the United States in the last decade. Um, some of them are on our staff now. So it's a, you know, it's a community we're quite close to and just really, you know, praying with um, and for as they are very concerned about loved ones in Ukraine. So if you guys visit worldrelief.org, Org. Um, you you can see this article, Eight Things You Need to Know About the Ukrainian Refugee Crisis. Uh, Matthew, I'm wondering if there's anything in here you want to um, you want to highlight for us. Yeah, you know, I might start with obviously just um, the scale of the crisis is so significant. Um, as I said, at least a million refugees at this point. I think when we posted that a few days ago, it was half of that. And that speaks to just how quickly things are moving. Even those estimates, of course, are they're out of date as soon as someone can put the numbers together. Um, you know, World Relief is working with partners um, in Western Ukraine as well as on the borders with uh, our particular partners are on, on the borders with um, Romania and Slovakia. Obviously, refugees are going in, in all directions to the West. Um, but and then again, we're also um, doing what we can to support Ukrainians and Ukrainian-Americans in the U.S. who are concerned about loved ones. Um, you know, because World Relief is probably best known in the U.S. for refugee resettlement, we've had a lot of questions about will re- Ukrainians be resettled to the U.S. And um, that may happen eventually. In the short term, um, most people, of course, are, are going by land to neighboring countries. And because they're next to Europe, there is a safe place for them to go for the time being. Um, it may be the longer term the U.S. opens up resettlement options for some of those individuals. And as I said, resettlement from Ukraine has actually happened for many years um, with a particular priority for religious minorities. So it's been a lot of Baptists and Pentecostals and Jewish uh, individuals from Ukraine in the last 10 or 15 years or so. Um, and again, those people then have relatives back in Ukraine in almost every case who they're really concerned about. And we're doing the best we can to help support those individuals here as well. So just as a reminder, I know we've talked about this before, but, you know, we've slept since then and we pay attention to other things. Um, The Biden administration took action um, on temporary protected status for people from Ukraine already here in the United States. Can you remind us what that is and what it means? Yeah. So and we were really pleased with that decision. It's something we had asked for and um, and a lot of Christian groups had asked for. Uh, basically, temporary protected status is under U.S. immigration laws. It basically allows the the Secretary of Homeland Security, but of course he doesn't make decisions without the president, to uh, say to individuals from a particular country of origin who are already in the United States. So often these are people who happen to be here on a student visa or a tourist visa or or may have lost their status. We are going to give you a temporary status. It means for two years you can have work authorization and um, basically stay here and then we'll reassess in two years if it's safe to withdraw that status and you can go back home or it's still not safe, we could renew it. The government could renew it. Uh, we think that was a good decision. I think almost anyone could look at what's happening in Ukraine right now and say it just would be inhumane to send someone back to that particular situation at this moment. Um, so we may as well, well let people stay and, and 
you know, go work and support themselves and perhaps even help support loved ones back in Ukraine um, for this period of time. So we were glad for that decision. And, um, and I, I, you know, we were actually working on a letter from different evangelical groups to ask for it. And we had to revise our letters to say, well, thank you for doing that because it, mm-hmm. uh, they did it, they did it before we could get all of our signatures in line to, to ask for it. Isn't that nice though? They probably um, loved getting a thank you letter instead of just a, a, a demand letter. So I think that's fantastic. Um, Matthew, let's, and again, we're talking with Matthew Sorens. You can find lots of really helpful information um, related to um, the resettlement of refugees and how you might engage at worldrelief.org. I know that I ask you to do this nearly every time you come on, but I do think that um, reminding us of the distinctions between refugees, internally displaced people, asylum seekers, there may be other categories that I'm forgetting to mention, um, we hear the word or the term refugee. Not everybody um, that is internally displaced by this war is ultimately a refugee because they're not going to they're not going to cross an international border. So can you just kind of help us um, with some of the language and so that we can be accurate when we're talking about these things? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that question because it's perpetually sort of misunderstood. Um, so, and, and some of that is the way we talk about it. Even, you know, we've just talked about refugees fleeing, you know, to Poland or to uh, Romania. Technically, uh, under at least the way the U.S. looks at things, if this was a parallel situation in our hemisphere, someone who shows up at our border and says, I'm fleeing persecution is not a refugee, but an asylum seeker. Um, mm-hmm. That is to say they they are availing themselves. They claim to meet the definition of a refugee, which is someone outside of their country who's fled a credible fear of persecution for particular reasons. Um, only uh, the U.S. would only, you know, within a, consider an asylum claim and say, can you demonstrate that you've met this requirement or not? And, and by the way, we expect there will be a significant increase in Ukrainian asylum seekers to the United States, mostly those who already had tourist visas, who can just get on an airplane in Poland and come to the United States, and they'd have the right to request asylum here if they can demonstrate a credible fear of persecution, which unfortunately would be much easier to do today than it was a week ago or not a week ago, but a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, refugees are in the U.S. context of people who are identified outside of their own country of origin, but still not in our country either, as having meet, met that definition of a credible fear of persecution. And the U.S. will then proactively resettle people. So they'll identify people in that third country. Um, I would say, generally speaking, we won't resettle someone who is firmly resettled in a safe country. So if if the EU is giving people a right to stay on a permanent basis, the U.S. usually would not consider them for a settlement. We'll see if, you know, the situation is so large that it is determined that it would make sense to basically distribute um, the refugee situation and that the U.S. might eventually take you know, some share of those fleeing into Europe. Um, the other de- the other term you mentioned is internally displaced person. So that's someone who's fled their home because of perhaps persecution, but is still within the boundaries of their country. So I, I haven't I'm not sure I've seen numbers reported for internal displacement in Ukraine, but it's probably several. You know, it's probably significantly larger than the number who's actually crossed the border. Lots of people are going into Western Ukraine, which is still relatively safe compared to you know where the the most uh, horrific um, Russian attacks are, ta- are happening. And sometimes internally displaced people keep moving when the basically whatever mm-hmm. they're fleeing follows them. And that's happening in Ukraine. We've seen that, of course, in Syria. Um, I, actually, there's a lot of parallels with the Syrian uh, crisis, you know, several years. That's still ongoing, actually, including the involvement of Russia and their bombing campaigns on the side of the Assad government in Syria. 
but the level of internal displacement in Syria um, is so great that about half the Syrian population has left their homes since the start of the war a little bit more than 10 years ago. Um, it's just an incredible displacement that's occurred. And many of those people, of course, have become refugees in Turkey or Jordan or Lebanon or some going on to Europe or a very small number were settled to the United States. But um, but even a larger number are displaced within Syria itself. And the same is, is likely to, to occur in, in Ukraine as well. Matthew, I want, um, I want an update on refugees, internally displaced people. We've talked a little bit about that. Asylum seekers um, from and related to Afghanistan, Syria, Venezuela, the situation in West and Central Africa, even the situation on, uh, you know, on the U.S. southern border. I think that the um, the attention drawn to the refugee, the word and the reality um, by the situation in Ukraine um, leaves me wanting to be reminded of and not um, like not fail to make good on uh, my concern for people in other places who have been facing similar challenges, but because it's like old news, it's lost our attention. Yeah, no, I so appreciate that, Carmen, because um, without in any way taking away from the need to be praying and acting for the people of Ukraine, the reality is the situation that they're facing is has a lot of similarities to situations that people in each of those countries you just mentioned have faced and sometimes are still facing. I mean, the situation in Syria is not resolved. Neither is the situation in Venezuela, which is distinct. It's not quite the same in terms of an armed conflict, but basically people starving because of a horrible government um, and some elements of persecution certainly as well for political opponents of the regime there. Uh, you know, the, the situation, even situations like in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which has been wars on and off for decades. And often, in fact, the people that we were settled at World Relief, with some exceptions like the Afghans who came very quickly after fleeing the, the fall of Kabul to the Taliban, more often we're resettling people who were displaced 10, 15, 20 years ago, who've been sitting in a refugee camp setting for literally a decade or more, um, waiting for there to be some safe place for them to go other than being effectively warehoused in a camp that they're not allowed to leave or they're not allowed to work. And I mean, there's 26 and a half million refugees in our world today. The numbers are just mm. overwhelming. I mean, I started working at World Relief 15, 16 years ago, and the number was less than half that. So we have lived through, um, you know, we, we call this sometimes the greatest refugee crisis. Sometimes people say it since World War II, probably higher numbers than World War II. Um, we don't have perfect mm. numbers from of displacement then. But it has been a really rough decade with one crisis after another. And I think the challenge for us as Christians is to, um, you know, I, to, to practice compassion. That, that word, I think it was Henry Nouwen who says that, you know, notice that Henry, compassion means to suffer with. And mm -hmm. to really, in prayer in particular, to be bringing those situations before God as difficult as it is, and yet it's so much less difficult for us sitting in the comfort of our homes to be praying for those situations than for the individuals, many of whom are brothers and sisters in Christ, especially in Ukraine, um, but in many of those other conflicts as well, um, who are, are facing these situations very profoundly. And, and then to be asking, Lord, what's, what could I do? What could I do here from the United States of America where, where our challenge is, uh, you know, we're paying more for gas right now. I don't want to minimize that that's hard for my family and a lot of others, but it's nothing compared to what the, you know, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are facing. Um, and, 
you know, even looking at maybe it's reaching out to, you know, right now we haven't had a lot of Afghans arriving so far, or I'm sorry, a lot of Ukrainians arriving so far, but Afghans have arrived in huge numbers in the last six months. And we continue to need volunteers. And, you know, I think it's notable. The U.S. just ended 20 years of military involvement in Afghanistan. I noticed in President Biden's speech earlier this week, not a mention of that reality. I mean, we have moved on so far from that situation in Afghanistan. Like, it's out of sight, out of mind. We don't want to look back at that. But there are 70,000 Afghans here in the United States who are here because of that situation, usually because they were allied with us in that situation. And that didn't necessarily go well for them. Not to mention families. many others, yeah. yeah, who have left been left behind in Afghanistan, and we can't move on too quickly. Right. So I want to come back to that um, when after we take a very very brief pause. We're talking with Matthew Sorens from World Relief. You can find all kinds of information and resources at worldrelief.org. Uh, Twenty-six and a half million refugees around the world today. Seventy thousand um, Afghan refugees have arrived here in the United States. Um, we're going to continue talking about. All of that, um, keeping an eye of affection and concern on what is happening in Ukraine. And we're going to ask Matthew, like, prayer plus, beyond prayer, what can we do? Um, You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Matthew Sorens from World Relief. Uh, he also works with the Evangelical Immigration Table. You can find World Relief at worldrelief.org and the Evangelical Immigration Table at evangelicalimmigrationtable.com. Um, Matthew, let's, um, let's continue talking about those 70,000 uh, people who have arrived from Afghanistan. We do have periodic conversations here with... Um, with a friend, um, General John Bradley, who served in Afghanistan and has an organization called the Lamia Foundation. And he brings us up to date from time to time on the people he is still working to get out of Afghanistan and the ways in which Christians can serve people still in Afghanistan. Um, wondering if you might address both of those concerns. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of people still trying to get out of Afghanistan or some who may have gotten out to a neighboring country but are not yet in a safe long-term position. Um, and of course the Taliban is not making it easy for people even to get out to a neighboring country. Um, you know, in our view, that's a, a real failure in terms of the U S policy. And we were pushing the Biden administration and the Trump administration before that, you know, when it was announced that the U S was going to withdraw from Afghanistan. Well, then before we do that, what's the plan to safely and orderly evacuate people, in particular those who are going to be most at risk because of their affiliation with the United States or religious or ethnic minority groups? And that just did not happen in any significant way until, I mean, we did have an evacuation. It started after most of Afghanistan had fallen, and there was really all that the U.S. military controlled was the airport in Kabul at that point. And the evacuation effort was heroic and in some ways effective, but also not fully effective in that a lot of people were left behind. So one thing we've been really urging the Biden administration to do, there's um, tens of thousands of individuals who've had requests for emergency humanitarian parole requested, which is a mechanism that it's it's a tool that was used to bring these 70,000 Afghans in through the evacuation. Um, but it's basically an emergency measure that the, you know, the, the U.S. government can take under its discretion in a humanitarian crisis um, to bring people to the United States. And we've been urging them 
you know, we, we're not saying every case is, should be approved. We're not in that position to judge each case, but that they need to, you know, to defer to protecting human life. Um, and there are a lot of cases where people are not just at risk, but at very severe risk of harm from the Taliban. So we've been doing that advocacy um, while also continuing to be concerned about I mean, the people in Afghanistan beyond persecution are facing famine and um, the economy has very well, very much collapsed um, in the last few months, not that it was strong to begin with. So continue to be praying. And I know there are good organizations doing their best to work within Afghanistan, which is a hard environment to work in right now. And then also to not forget the individuals who, ha who did make it out. And one of the most significant concerns there, in addition to all the normal things that refugees need in terms of friendship and um, support and helping learn language in some cases, um, you know, sometimes it's transportation, getting to doctor's appointments or jobs. Um, beyond all that, one thing that's unique about the Afghans who were brought to the country since August is they're technically not refugees. They are paroled into the United States, as I said, and that doesn't have much effect in terms of their arrival here, the support they get here. Where it has an effect is one year after arrival, if they had come as refugees, if the U.S. had brought them as refugees, they'd be allowed to apply for their green cards and then be four years away from applying for citizenship. As it is, they're stuck in a perpetual temporary status where they um, will not necessarily ever have the chance to pursue permanent status or citizenship in the United States. And that's something that only really Congress can address. And, and we've been urging them to do that with something called an Afghan Adjustment Act. All right. We have people asking all kinds of questions on our text line, um, Matthew. So I'm wondering if in the coming weeks we can circle back around as this conversation continues to develop um, in Ukraine. Um, and thank you for just such good and helpful information um, about what's going on on the southern border, about what's going on with people arriving from Afghanistan. You're always um, it's always helpful to have like accurate information. And um, I appreciate that you offer it. Uh, from what I know is a passionate heart, but in a in a way that is dispassionate in terms of the delivery of the information. It's it's actually really just really, really helpful. Um, when we talk about not not and I don't want to I certainly don't want to suggest that prayer is nothing because prayer is something. Prayer is a lot. Yeah. But for people who want to do sort of prayer plus, what might be um, one thing that I can do actively um, as an American citizen that would um, create some traction for people seeking to flee Ukraine? Yeah, you know, one thing, and we could go through many, but one would be, you know, we can provide financial support right now. That's a huge need in terms of the disaster response. And frankly, my challenge to folks would be, you know, as an organization, World Relief, I know that we have peer organizations, Christian ministries that are in a similar position. A disaster like this happens, and we are trying to figure out what can we do and you know how much, how many resources do we have to work with? But people tend to give in response to the crisis a week, two weeks after it occurs, and it's hard to make plans immediately when these crises happen. Well, one of the most helpful things people can do is is say, you know, I'm going to give on a sustained basis for World Relief. We call that the path. So it's just mm -hmm. worldrelief.org/slash/the-path. That allows us, if you trust us, and personally, I think you can trust my colleagues who make these decisions, to when a disaster happens, to move in immediately and say, are we on the ground? If not, do we have partners who we can equip, who have the, you know, the trustworthiness and the resources to get help to people immediately? 
and not have to say, let's do a fundraising campaign around this. And then we'll see if we can help, you know, a few weeks, a few months later. Um, when we have the sustained giving, it just allows us to be nimble to go into different circumstances, empowering local churches in different places to respond to crises as they happen. Um, so that would be one of my probably my biggest encouragement is make that commitment to lasting involvement, whether it's Ukraine or whatever comes next. Um, and the path is one way to do that. Yeah, that's so helpful. That's so helpful. Thank you. Uh, Matthew Sorens, you can find him at worldrelief.org. Um, the piece on eight things you need to know about the Ukrainian refugee crisis is excellent. Um, as Matthew noted, the numbers are already dated. You can get up-to-date numbers um, every single day from the United Nations. UNHCR.org is um, is the site you're looking for. I'm looking at a data page that they provide, um, and you can, you can get up-to-date on situations not only in Ukraine, but Afghanistan, Syria, Venezuela, um, and elsewhere around the world. Um, Matthew, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. All right, we got to take one more very brief break, and then we'll be right back. All right. I appreciate um, the concern that each of you is sharing on the text line this morning. Remember, you can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. I love hearing from you. Um, Thank you so much for including me in your day today. It is a privilege. I count it a privilege that we gather together like this um, in, in the company of one another and with the Lord to seek the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. And so thank you so much. Um, if, if you have found this uh, valuable, I would invite you to share it with someone else. You can do so on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.